All right, what's good, everybody? How y'all doing today? It's your boy, Jay North, Northern Exposure Podcast. Coming to you um, in a little bit of a prelude fashion. So we do have the fantasy uh, football uh, preview, review, whatever you want to call it, segments coming up with my cousins, Mike and Matt. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do the best we can. Um, last year, as you know, we kind of gave you position by position, kind of gave you our personal top fives, kind of gave you a snapshot into what to expect when we were building our rosters. And quite frankly, all three gentlemen were uh, very successful making the playoffs, winning championships, things of that nature. So it was a very good fantasy uh, season last year. And that just kind of gives you a little sneak peek at the resumes, uh, if you will, of the North boys as they bring you some fantasy football forecasting. But as I said in the last episode, um, where I sit there with my buddy Eddie, I'm going to be the grumpy old man. I'm going to be the pessimist. I just don't see how the NFL pulls this all off. Then flash forward a few days later, and you're getting reports that the college football season is, in fact, in peril. It is looking like it's not going to happen. Um, you've got, in all fairness, Kurt Herbstreet. I was watching the Pat McAfee show uh, yesterday, and he shared my regard when he said, you know, I remember we had Kurt Herbstreet, one of my favorite people, handsome man, and he's there. I think it was early April. It was when this whole thing was first going down. We were just getting shut down, and Herbie said, back then that he had doubted very highly there would be a college football season. In fact, he basically proclaimed there won't be a college football season in 2020. Um, that, of course, ruffled feathers. I mean, you're going back to April. You're looking at the calendar. He said, that's freaking ridiculous. There's no way in hell we're going to be dealing with this thing for months and months and months the rest of the year, whatever the case may be. Well, the... College football season is, in fact, in peril. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jay, you said the NFL season. But here's a couple things, and I find it interesting. And, again, I've said it before. Uh, sports is a great barometer for what's going on or what's going to happen. So yesterday you had analysts like Booger McFarlane um, giving his take. I believe it was on Get Up with Mike Greenberg. Um, and he was basically talking from the uh, perspective of the parent. You know, if I was a parent, my son or daughter is a Division One. Well, he stayed specifically to football, but you know, if my son, if my son's playing football, uh, there's no way in hell I want to let him play this year. And you know, there's going to be a lot of parents that probably share that regard. They don't want their, you know, they don't want their kid out on a football field banging in the people. Uh, college football players started speaking up. Trevor Lawrence, quarterback for Clemson, for example, high-profile players. Nick Saban, the coach of Alabama. They want to play, um, making arguments that the players, uh, from a health standpoint, are actually safer in the uh, team university college football bubble that they would absolutely be in at, with a team. A couple weeks ago, basically the NCAA at that time had made the decision that there would be no out-of-conference games. We're going to play in-conference schedule only, get you guys the hell out of here. Um, I think it was only about two weeks ago, Ohio State said they were going to have their home opener, no fans. Um, and it's all evaporating pretty damn quickly. So it's interesting to me 
Um, they definitely, at this point for the NCAA, they say it certainly will not start on time, if at all. So I just don't see it happen. Again, I'm being a pessimist. Even if you keep them in conference, you're still traveling, buses, planes, all this other stuff. So I don't know. Football's a tough sport. You, you can't keep them really in the bubble. And NCAA rosters are big. Uh, and it's just it is what it is. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to pull off. And I think the NCAA is realizing that. And I think they're at a point where they see that the risk, uh, you know, the, the reward doesn't outweigh the risk in this case. You certainly are going to be restricted. Um, you know, I made the joke with Eddie. Oh, some NFL teams can have fans and some can't. I think the entire NCAA was saying no fans. So, you know, it's just it's a unique situation and it's a tough situation. But the reason I'm talking about the NCAA right now is because I am a pessimist for the NFL. What's going to happen with it? And then today a new report comes out. So if you are a college football fan, you know, the aforementioned Kirk Street, and, you know, Chris Fowler. And they typically will call uh, the biggest game of the week together uh, for college football. Uh, but there's a report that's just coming out right now that they will actually call Saturday NFL games if the college football season gets canceled. So the article says here, and this comes out of the Yard Barker. So again, these are sports; these are sports uh, articles. People, we don't don't really have to fact check these as hard, and then they fact check them within themselves by mentioning sources. So it's not like politics. That's why sports is a lot more fun. Uh, so it says here, even if there is no football this fall, it sounds likely that viewers will still have the opportunity to hear the voices of Chris Fowler and Kurt Herbstreet in some capacity. According to Andrew Marshand of the New York Post, ESPN's plan is to use Fowler and Herbstreet as a broadcast team if the NFL moves some games to Saturday following college football's cancellation. So, again, this article just came out, oh, how long ago? 19 hours ago. So this was written yesterday. Um, but I find it interesting that the headline is if the season is canceled, but then you get into the article and it could be a typo, but he said following college football's cancellation, or that's just his pessimism shine into the surface here. Uh, Marshan notes that ESPN has no plans to change course in its new primary Monday night football team consisting of Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick, even though that team has not yet publicly, has not yet been publicly confirmed. That's interesting because the football season, technically, if all goes well and starts on time, is about eh, four or five weeks away. By all accounts, the Fowler-Herb Street pairing received serious consideration to be moved to the Monday night football job before ESPN opted to go in a different direction. If there is no college football and the NFL opts to move some games to Saturday as a result, using Fowler and Herb Street for those NFL games just makes sense. We'll see what happens. But you already have ESPN uh, jockeying broadcasters around, and I just find it interesting. I, I'm, it's This is going to be a bizarre football season. Again, I've got all my drafts coming up. I've got a dynasty draft coming up on August 29th. That's pure dynasty. You basically keep your entire freaking roster. Um, you're paying attention to these rookies, you know, that were getting picked up in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, much different ball game. It's auction style drafting again, a different ball game versus your traditional PPRs with keepers. So again, I, this is just the last couple days. This is all 
you know, I almost feel like I should have like a podcasting crystal ball. When I bitch about a little something, something, it tends to be within the next 24 to 48 hours, I get some clarity as to why I was bitching. And uh, it definitely just seems that this is going to be a crazy year for the NFL. I, again, again, and I made jokes a couple weeks ago with the commissioner, Roger Goodell, saying these guys can't do the uh, post-game jersey exchange. Yippity-doo. Can the name of player's safety? But they could slam into each other for three hours uh, and, and no problem. Um, I don't know, guys. I'm a bowler, for example. And to this point, for those of you that are familiar with bowling, that's a long season. That typically goes September to April, one night a week, whatever you're doing. Five-man teams. Uh, we can't even do that right now. Can't even bowl. That is non-contact sport. We do not have to give high fives. We'll do our best to guarantee that our balls don't touch, but we can't make any promises. Uh, but if we can't even do that, how is a football season going to successfully occur? 16-week season with these teams traveling. Um, you know, side note, you have I saw another article this morning. Major League Baseball is already trying to figure out if they should do the quote unquote postseason in a bubble, like a regional bubble. Like let's have our teams just stay here kind of thing, which makes sense. You can do that. One ballpark can take care of a couple teams. You know what I mean? You just someone's got a day game, someone's got a night game. There you go. Four teams played in one park in one day, and you didn't kill yourself. So interesting uh, fact to see what they're going to have to do. PLL, Premier League Lacrosse, just crowned uh, the champions. It's the Whip Snakes again, back to back. Some people are saying, hey, it's a dynasty. They've won each of the first two champions for this league. I say pump the brakes. It was a hell of a two-week. Uh, it's kind of like a playoff series. Really nicely done. Gave us a little semblance of uh, normalcy, even though no crowd or anything like that. But it was fun. They did it. Uh, they kept the league alive. Great social media engagement. I think that was huge for that league. Um, and we'll go from there. But, again, I'm going to be a pessimist uh, in these segments with Mike and Matt. And they're just going to have to convince me that we're going to be that, – that's the hard part. My heart – and I, I've talked to a couple other people that I know are diehards, and I'm typically a diehard football fan – Die hard into the fantasy, super competitive. Eddie was right. He pulls no punches there. But my heart's just not in the same place this year because, again, I feel like it's going to be a disappointment. I feel like just as you get it, it, a couple things are going to happen, in my opinion. You're either going to get into it and then the rug is going to get pulled out from under you because something's going to pop up. Or it's just going to be so awkward and so disappointing um, that you might find better things to do on Sundays. You know, depending on injury reports, because these guys aren't conditioned as well as I mean, again, professional athletes. I know we like to assume that they take all the responsibility, but there's a little bit of a difference. You know, are these guys going to be at game speed by the time you need to be at game speed? Are there can they take the hits the same way? Are they going to be as resilient? Um, what are COVID tests going to do to these rosters? How many guys are these? Is it going to sideline? How well, you know, how much will it impact quality of play? It all sort of ties in. I mean, I know they're going to 80-man rosters, but as I said before, and this is no disrespect because I couldn't make an 80-man roster, <laughs> couldn't make a 100-man roster. But it's typically a 53-man roster, and those other 27 guys obviously wouldn't be there 
uh, for a reason. So again, it's, it's been great to have a little bit of sport. I've watched a smidgen of basketball. It hasn't been a lot because again, just without the crowds, it's kind of awkward. It's, it's a little weird to me that if you do feel like there's something missing and maybe as it gets a little bit closer, I have been paying attention to Dallas and, you know, Luka Doncic phenomenal, but I don't know. It's just been hard to really Last night, for example, did I, I missed Mike Tyson Shark Week. So did I want to watch sports or did I want to watch Shark Week? You know what? I watched Shark Week. It's just, I, I don't know. Without the crowd, it's like something's missing a little bit. But uh, now they're playing well. Can't take nothing away from the players. They're balling out. And it's uh, it's too bad. And, you know, LeBron made a comment. He's like, man, it's been a long time since I've played in an empty gym. And, yeah, I bet it has. <laughs> Jesus, dude. It, <laughs> Even when you play in leagues, the gyms aren't empty. I feel you, LeBron. I feel you. Hey, but you had virtual little Wayne. And I don't know if that's a live feed from his living room or whatever, but it's freaking hilarious. So virtual little Wayne, that would motivate me. So anyway, expose once. That's my view. College football, I think, is toast. This article sort of gives us a snapshot that I think it's going to be toast. So now we don't have to worry about what to do with Notre Dame. We could just pat them on their little golden heads and send them on their way. Um, and I think it preludes into the NFL and kind of gives you a, a precursor, a little bit of a prediction, if you will. I think the quality of play in the NFL is going to wind up being watered down due to injury, just from guys not being as conditioned as they typically would be right now. And damn it, how many of these positive tests are, it doesn't even have to be the player. It could just be somebody close to them. And then they have to quarantine for the two weeks. What kind of impact is that going to have on the season? Who would that take out of a roster? At what point in the season would it take that guy out of the roster? Maybe Joey Bosa was right. Most responsible team wind up winning the Super Bowl, assuming they could play it all the way through. Going to take a hot break, guys. We'll be right back. All right, y'all. Welcome back. Going to wrap up this uh, podcast. Nice, short, sweet podcast. As I say, first segment, kind of a prelude into the uh, fantasy football episode that we'll be recording uh, with my cousins, Mike and Matt. We're actually going to be doing that tomorrow evening. I had some schedule issues, uh, double booked myself and whatnot. So that's why that hasn't been done yet. But Actually, a blessing in disguise. Things are moving quickly with this coronavirus, and there's been some new developments in the NCAA, as I uh, let you all in on, and just giving my two cents on my pessimism of whether or not a football season will actually happen. Here we are now. This is going to be a little bit of an opinion segment for you guys. Um, I had mentioned when me and Ed were talking about just how tough it is to be a parent right now. Tough decisions, everything you're doing and whatnot, especially with this back to school uh, coming up. There's going to be, you know, some people that agree with your decisions. There's going to be some people that don't agree with your decisions. And at the end of the day, you have to do what's best for you, your family, your loved ones, your immediate bubble and uh, go from there. But the concerns are real. And I think it's interesting that a uh, article popped up today on this COVID-19, a school nurse in a district with a crowded hallway quit after a photo was released, and she's scared over the scarcity of precautions. So this photo, uh, this is on CNN, and let's see, this is a AP file. So here we are. Um, this photo was posted on Twitter. 
students crowd a hallway on Tuesday, August 4th, so that was last week, at North Paulding High School in Dallas, Georgia. The Georgia high school student says she has been suspended for five days because of photos of crowded conditions that she provided to the Associated Press and other news organization. Hannah Waters, Waters, I'm sorry, W-A-T-T-E-R-S, a 15-year-old sophomore at North Paulding High School, says she and her family view the suspension as overly harsh and are appealing it. So, article continues, a school nurse in Georgia who quit over what she considers a lack of COVID-19 precautions sends a viral video of students crowding the hallways last week. Um, she said if she finds it very, this is in quotes, I find it very heartbreaking and it was obviously some sort of validation, but it was not the validation that I necessarily wanted to see. So anyway, the controversy is this. Now for us, our kids, again, we've told you guys, hybrid. So two days physically in the building, three days remote, masks mandatory. Um, the reason they're doing the alphabet thing is because they're actually reducing the student population by, I believe, 50% from a day-to-day -day basis is the average. I mean, it's almost impossible to get an exact 50%, but they, are, they have cut it about as close to in half as you possibly can. So they've done a good job there. Now, seeing a photo like this, not a single student in this hallway that I could see. Oh, hold on. Maybe one kid. It's really tough. You would have to zoom in on him, too maybe one kid. And if I had to guess, there's 60, 70 kids in this hallway. This is a crowded hallway, small row of lockers. Um, and this is right on CNN. That's unbelievable. Now, if I saw something like that, I would probably want my kids to go to school remotely uh, until the district pulled their heads out of their ass. That's my opinion. This is a tough one here. Um, I'm going to put it to you like this, and the article kind of took the words right out of my mouth. She was referencing uh, the student was they interviewed a student. She was referencing a, sp a spaghetti strap dress. You know, if the school district can ban spaghetti strap dresses and other things that they, you know, clothing that they deem risque, you know, they damn sure could mandate a mask policy during the middle of a pandemic. And absolutely right. You know, it's one of those things where we said you have to do your responsibility. And th this, again, is my opinion in this whole situation. You have to be responsible. Um, this to me in this picture with everything that's going on. And again, the numbers are real. I've been the guy telling you I'm crunching data all the time. You know, I'm the guy that will tell you to this point, one percent of the U.S. population has been infected of that one percent infected. We have a fatality rate of zero point zero three which mirrors the global fatality rate of 0.03. You can carry out to the third, fourth, fifth decimal point, and the numbers get a little bit different there. But I think we can all agree we're plucking at hairs in that situation. Now, again, some states, worse than others. Of all the confirmed cases here in my state, New York, we are at almost a 0.07. It was like a 0.069% uh, fatality rate. So the death rate in New York from case, if you get it, to your likelihood of dying actually doubles. But depending on how you say it is what makes it terrifying. Um, if I told you you had a 0.03% chance of being struck by lightning every time you went outside, I highly doubt you would stop going outside. I'm not saying that to discount the severity of COVID-19. I think the one thing a lot of us can agree on now is the conversations that we've been having. Because, you know, back in April, 
back in May, back in March, when this thing first came out, people had their opinions on it. But the truth was we didn't really have a ton of data. And I suppose you could still argue that we don't have a ton of data now, but we have a hell of a lot more than we did back then. And the one thing I'm finding interesting here, and it kind of came up on a social media feed. I was just kind of reading the comments, listening in on the conversation, sort of observing from the balcony, if you will. And the article um, was talking about, you know, COVID-19. This man thought it was only going to be like catching the flu and it was far worse, you know. But then adversely, I know somebody who had it earlier in the year, nowhere near me, never in contact while this individual had it. Um, and this individual said it never felt worse than a bad cold. And the reason I point this out and the reason it's relevant is because when we were when I was watching this social media feed, that's what some of the conversation was starting to shift to. It wasn't, well, it wasn't, well, you're an idiot and this thing is this and this thing is that. And, and someone just said very innocently, what I find bizarre about this virus is how different it can be from case to case. And if you think about it, yes. So what are the factors? You know, in that regard, is it those underlying medical conditions? You know, this individual that I know that actually had it diagnosed, tested positive, this is what you had, and then tested positive for the antibodies. Um, great health. You know, that's, there's no other way to put it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this person that anybody knows of. Uh, great health, good body type, you know, all that stuff. So, you know, how important is that? How much does that factor into it? You know, non-smoker, how much does that factor into it? Uh, active non-smokers, eats healthy, you know? So I'm one of those people. I'm intrigued by how different this thing is um, from case to case. I'm intrigued by the fact that this thing hasn't absolutely scoured and ravaged the homeless communities. Uh, in some parts of third world countries that don't have necessarily the medical treatment that we have here in the United States, Europe, Canada, um, also more importantly, don't have access to PPE uh, like we do here in the US, Europe, Canada, Russia, all that stuff. I mean, we have the masks, we've got gloves, we've got hand sanitizers. That's not the case in your homeless communities. That's not the case in, in some of your third world countries. So I've sort of, I think we can agree that it's there. Um, personally, I'm not terrified by it, but I am. I'm aware of it. I think that's a good way to put the put the corona. I'm aware of it. To the same way, I'm. I don't want to get a flu or a parasite or anything like that. I'm aware of the coronavirus, and I have the same regard for it. I don't want to get it. Um, so, if right now, you know, extra hygiene measures, wear mask in public, fine. You know, I'm all for it. I think that's the smartest thing to do. Um, you know, now they're starting to say that cases in children are going up. Um, and I still find the children interesting because how did this thing leave the children alone for a couple months? They still haven't really been anywhere yet, right? I mean, everything's been closed. Schools got closed. Your children didn't get it from school, you know. So where has it come from now? Is it a combination of increased testing? You know, you didn't have all that testing back then, and we didn't see them as a problem. We saw it in the elderly and the sick, and we were like, holy crap, kids don't seem to get it. 
So when you say kids' cases are up 90%, that's important to me because 90% versus what? Was one kid a week getting? I just want to use easy numbers here. You know, were you testing 10 kids a week and now you're testing 10,000? Yeah, you're going to get a spike. So that's where, and again, I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I'm just, I ask a lot of questions. And that's sort of where I'm at with this thing. It's not to argue. It's to ask questions, you know. 90% of what? What was, you know, what was the original database versus now that has gone up 90%? And another thing I want to know too, and I've had this conversation with a couple people, and again, none of this is argumentative. We're just having conversations, asking questions. And I think this is how you get to certain decisions. But, you know, with this COVID-19, do you vaccinate? Do you not vaccinate? Um, it, it's again, that stuff is all on the fence, but at the end of the day, like there's a lot of things to consider. Mental health is important. Um, socialization is important. Just doing the right things is important. Um, but the other conversation I was having with some other people just around these percentages of COVID-19, you know, when they tell you these cases are on the rise, which I tell you, and I was on the CDC website this morning because I'm kind of getting obsessed with watching that curve because they've been saying the last couple of days, cases are up, cases are up, cases are up. And they're absolutely right. June through July, the cases did start going up. Cases were going up towards the end of last week. But the last couple of days, they've actually started to take a dip again. So there's like a couple ebbs and flows and waves. Should we as humans expect to see those ebbs and flows and waves as number one, testing increases, but number two, are there going to be particular seasons that COVID-19 is being tested for? I don't know. So far, COVID-19 doesn't seem to have a season. It just took the whole damn year. Does it really have a season? What is it? We're still trying to figure it out. Um, I, th I think we're still trying to figure out a lot of things, you know, how transmittable actually is it? You know, when it first came out, we heard it could stay on a surface for up to two weeks. And now it's at a point where, well, certain surfaces, it dies off pretty quick. You know, some as early as a half hour, 45 minutes. That's That was the argument why the supermarket wasn't so dangerous anymore. And then you find out it doesn't do, it doesn't even stay on some of those surfaces at all. So we're still learning a ton. We're still learning a ton. And, you know, the incredible thing is, number one, how different it is from case to case. And again, like, did it leave the kids alone and all of a sudden it morphed and it can get into kids a little bit easier? You know, I don't know. You know, people are talking about immunity, that if you get the antibodies to this, they might not necessarily stay forever. The antibodies could shift. The virus could shift. Those antibodies are useless. Russia, love it or hate it. Testing a vaccine right now that Vlad says is ready. Um, and his daughter is one of the first test subjects. And a couple things I find interesting about it, and I, I should go back and get the article. I'm going to try to find it here while I'm talking to you guys. Um, but very interesting concept. Hang on a minute. I want to try to find it because, again, you don't have to. Where is it? Hold on. I'm going to find it, damn it. I'll find it. Yes, Russia claims first coronavirus vaccine as global cases top 20 million. And uh, it was interesting here because Putin claims that this has gone through all the testing. And uh, 
let's see. Yeah, Russia claimed Tuesday. So that it had developed the world's first vaccine offering sustainable immunity against the coronavirus as the pandemic marked another bleak milestone with 20 million infections globally. Keep perspective though, we have 10 billion people on the planet. Uh, yeah, Putin did say one of his daughters, da da da. So there are scientists, absolutely, absolutely scientists have concerns. But as I'm looking at this, you know, there was the space race. Now, is there going to be a vaccine race? I mean, obviously, there's there's money involved. I love how the article says here that Western scientists see we have to stop doing that crap because that automatically creates a divide. Um, you know, if Russia comes out with a vaccine that's safe and it works. Now, there's a couple other things here. World Health Organization warned of any approval require a uh, rigorous review of the data. And that's how it works in the scientific community. Everybody has to chime in, everybody has to look at it. But it gets interesting, um, says here, and this is a quote from Putin, I know that it's quite effective and it gives sustainable immunity, uh, Putin said of the vaccine developed by the, oh my God, Gamaleya Research Institute in coordination with Moscow's defense ministry. Uh, Russia hopes to begin production in September and start vaccinating medical staff immediately afterwards. So they're gonna treat their medical staff first. Some 20 foreign countries. Ah, this is a different article from earlier. Some 20 foreign countries have pre-ordered over a billion doses, according to Russia's sovereign wealth fund, which helped develop the vaccine. Again, those could be inflated numbers, but that's what they're reporting. So the race for the vaccine heats up. Yeah, we got to make it a competition, don't we? Um, but where is it here? He said something very interesting because the big topic, and again, this is just a little opinion segment here. Give you guys something to think about. Don't be yelling at your dashboards or your computers right now. In the first article I read, Putin said that this would give you about two years of immunity. So it might be one of those things where you do have to get a booster every two years. Two years of immunity. Um, which is good because this thing obviously is proven to us a little bit and the little bit that we know about it that does morph a little bit. And then he said something else that was interesting is that this vaccine would be 100% voluntary, not mandatory. You do not have to take this vaccine. And I think that's important because, you know, he's basically saying, yeah, we might have something here, um, but you don't have to take it. So we'll go from there. But now the vaccine war is heating up and, you know, U.S. said that there were Russian hackers that stole some vaccine research and this and that. Hey, guys, I got a fucking idea. Could you all just work together, please? This is supposed to be a global pandemic. Could you guys just shut the hell up and work together? Like, can the Russian scientists and the American scientists and some of the good, you know, European scientists, African scientists, Canadian scientists, Asian scientists, can they all just work together and figure this shit out so we can get on with life? Seriously. Um, but that's my two cents on it, guys. You know, crowded hallway in school. That's down in Dallas, Georgia. No masks. Students shoulder to shoulder. You can find it. It's a news article on CNN. This is all online. I'm actually on a MSN News right now, and these are all the articles on my coronavirus timeline. It's actually one of the top ones. Um, so, you know, we'll take it from there. We'll take it from there. But, uh, yeah, this is the gift that keeps on giving, the coronavirus, the nightmare that will never end. And just my two cents, I know it's been difficult as hell for parents to make these decisions as we're getting ready to send our kids back to school. And I can promise you, as I sit here talking to you, 
as a man that is not terrified of the coronavirus, but very well aware from very well aware of it. I would look at a picture like that. If that was my son or daughter's school, I'd say, all right, we're done. You're going to go remote until, you know, we can get this thing under control until we know about it. I understand, you know, it's going to be hard. Get the kids to behave. Yeah, I know. I get it. In school, like I say, ours, you know, postponed a little bit. They're starting a couple of weeks later than they typically would. But I wouldn't like that as a parent if I saw that. That's what was crowded in that hallway is more than anything that I've seen, you know, at these ballparks. You basically had 60, 70 kids crammed in that hallway, as I tell you. A very, and you, come on, you all went to school, right? You know the size of the hallways. They're not huge. That's tight. That's a big difference in spreading a bunch of parents out across the giant soccer complex where everybody can get their six feet. Nobody has to be inside your bubble. I mean, even the players, you know, they'll be close to three, four girls at once, typically, if you're playing the game right. Not like that. They were crushed in there like a bunch of sardines, nobody wearing a mask, and you know they're breathing on each other. Now, yes, 90% of them, all of them kids could be asymptomatic, but, you know, they bring it home to Nana or whatever. I just think it's negligent if you're not trying to be safe in some regard. You know, I wouldn't leave the gun laying around the house with the safety off. Just saying. If I need it, I'll flip the switch. It's my two cents exposed ones. I hope you're all being good out there. Everybody's doing well, staying healthy, leading with love, fighting the good fight. Stay tuned for the fantasy episode. Myself, Mike and Mad North, the Brothers Grimm, going to do the best we can to give you the best perspective. If you are a fantasy player, keep your chin up, and uh, let's see if we can win some money this year, maybe on a shortened season so we can enjoy the holidays. Who freaking knows? Until then, y'all be good. Thanks for listening.